Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com and ADC Media. Producers of fine Catholic programming like Light of the East. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're very excited to welcome another new station, now part of the EW10 radio family. Hello to everyone listening on KKSJ 107.5 FM in Beloit, Kansas. Many thanks to Lynn Ellens and her great team for their hard work and prayers to get this new station on the air. Again, welcome to all our new listeners now hearing us on 107.5 FM KKSJ in Beloit, Kansas, the newest member of the EW10 radio family. I had a very interesting letter from a young listener, and I'm going to share that letter with you as the basis, the theme, the topic for our program today, because I think it's a very First of all, it's a very worthy, kind, encouraging letter, but it's also a very worthy topic, one that I think comes up a lot whenever there is discussions regarding the Eastern and Western lungs of the Catholic Church. This letter that I received is from a young lady named Natalia, and she's a recent college graduate, and she says, I am canonically Byzantine and attend divine liturgies consistently up until high school but I primarily practiced in the Latin Rite for about seven years until fully returning to my Byzantine identity this year. I am a huge fan of your podcast. Well, thank you, Natalia. Especially as I learned traditions, theology, and symbolism that I had never been taught as a kid. The Byzantine Rite seems even more beautiful to me coming back as an adult. Now, that being said, in my journey back to the East, I spent some time attending traditional, extraordinary Latin masses and talking to a friend who now solely attends these liturgies. One aspect that she emphasized in her love for Latin Mass is the silence, especially after reading Cardinal Robert Sarah's book, The Power of Silence. In fact, I have been discovering the power of silence in my own spiritual life and love learning about Eastern monasticism's traditions regarding silence. Yet, while I'm in love with the Divine Liturgy and most at home there, one glaring beauty of it is its lack of silence. It is precisely the rhythm and synergy of the divine liturgy's unending hymn of praise that I find most mirrors the spontaneous flow of my spiritual life. 
However, I was wondering if you could provide insight into the specific reasons behind this difference between Eastern and Western liturgies. How might I explain to my traditional Latin Mass friend why the Divine Liturgy does not have silence, especially during Holy Communion? Thank you for all that you do to keep the Eastern traditions not only alive, but thriving. God bless you and your ministry, Natalia. Well, thank you, Natalia. That was a marvelous letter, especially because you're a, as you said, a recent college graduate. We're always thrilled to hear about young people, especially after college where many young people lose their faith or go into great doubts about their faith. But you have come back to it or immersed yourself into it, especially your Eastern Rite heritage, with even greater fervor. That's wonderful. That's very, very encouraging for us. So I thank you for that. I thank you for your letter. Now, to try to answer your question, and the answer, in a sense, is in the question, why, basically, are there these differences? It's because we're different. (laughs) The Eastern and Western lungs of the church arrive at the same place. We all have the same goal, the same pope, the same basic belief, but we arrive at it in different ways. It's something like the human race or even like marriage. Man and woman are both human, but they experience that humanness in their own respective complementary ways as a man and as a woman. In other words, there's a masculine experience of being human and a feminine experience of being human. But again, we arrive at the same place, and that's part of the beauty of life, part of the beauty of God's order of creation. The same is true with faith. Faith is like a many-faceted diamond. There's many aspects of the diamond, many facets, all of them equal, all of them valid, all of them absolutely essential. Imagine if one facet of a diamond was missing. You wouldn't have the whole diamond. There'd be something flawed about it. So all the facets make up the whole diamonds, the same thing in the Eastern churches and the Western churches. But remember, all of the facets are equally significant. They may be different, maybe in different sizes or slightly different shapes. They reflect light differently and so on, just like in a diamond. They're in different places on that diamond. But nonetheless, they are all essential and they all make up that diamond. Now, as far as silence goes, in the Latin rite, silence is a part of the what we might call, and this is a point that Pope Benedict XVI would make, is that there is what's called an active but also passive participation in the Mass, in worship. Notice I said participation. See, when we participate, we can do so in an active way, by singing, you know, out loud, uh, gestures, the rituals, the standing, the kneeling, the bowing, the sign of the cross, lighting candles, and so on. But we can also participate in a passive way, and that is where we are silent, and we might hear a hymn being sung by a choir, the cantors, or just silence itself as a part of the Mass. So, in the Latin rite, they have an active and passive dynamic there, in which silence is a part of it. Also, in the Latin Rite, there is by nature, this is part of why we have the two different lungs of the church, we have different natures, just like man and woman, different gifts, different strengths. In the Latin Rite, the Western Rite tends to be a little bit more cerebral, a little bit more based in rationalism and so on. So there's going to be a little more of an emphasis, and this is worked into their worship, of times of like thinking or meditation. You know, when we're silent, we get to think. We get to contemplate things, contemplate the mystery, and that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. In the Latin rites, since they're a little bit more prone towards that and towards a kind of a sense of order, 
in the Latin rite worship, it tends to be where we do this at this point, we do that at that point, we do this at that point. In other words, we're all moving together through the same aspects or phases of the worship. And so there's times when we are all silent, times when we were all singing. This is how worship is in the Latin rite. In the Eastern Rite, it's a little bit different. There can be a number of things going on at the same time. The Eastern Rite is a little less ordered in terms of one thing following the other exactly and a little less compartmentalized. And again, this is the genius of the West. It's a little bit different in the East. The East has its own genius. Whenever we talk about East and West, remember, we're always comparing the geniuses. We're not saying one is better than the other. And thank God we have the complementary geniuses because we need each other. The East needs what the West has to offer, and the West needs what the East has to offer, just like man and woman. So as you compare these things, remember, it's not about better or worse. It's about different and gift. So in the East, we have sometimes many things going on at the same time. It's sort of multi-layered. This could be going on by this person. That could be going on by that person. The cantors could be singing something. The priests are doing something else. But it all works together as an integrated whole. Now, this doesn't go on all the time in the Eastern liturgy. Sometimes we are all doing the same thing. But most of the time, the Eastern churches are multi-layered. And they arrive at what the Western church achieves through silence. The East arrives at it in a different way. It actually arrives at it at a similar sense by constant, incessant prayer or chant. You ever notice when something is going on constantly, it almost becomes almost like, oh, I, like hypnotic, or it, it kind of gives you a sense of a, of a different experience, of a different state that can be actually very peaceful, similar to a state of silence. In other words, arriving at that state of a sort of an inner peace can be done by actual silence, like in the West, or it can be done by an incessant kind of sound, an incessant chanting, an incessant music, an incessant prayer. The Eastern Church emphasizes very much this idea of praying unceasingly. We enter into the liturgy as though we're entering into, and in fact, we are mystically entering into the ongoing, and there's a strong emphasis there on that word ongoing, the ongoing or eternal, perpetual liturgy, the heavenly liturgy in heaven, with Christ surrounded by all the angels and saints praising his glory together. This is why in the Eastern churches, on the ceiling of the church, it's one major icon, which is the great, powerful, looming Christ Pantocrator, the all-powerful ruler, surrounded by, usually by angels. And they're all carrying instruments that are used in our divine liturgy, like chalices and gospel books and candles. The idea is that what you're seeing on the ceiling is also reflecting what's happening on the floor in the, the earthly church and vice versa. In other words, as we enter into the Byzantine liturgy, we're literally taking our place mystically alongside the angels in heaven at the heavenly liturgy, the ongoing heavenly liturgy. In fact, we even sing as one of the great chants of the Byzantine liturgy, let us so mystically represent the cherubim and sing the thrice holy hymn to the life-creating trinity, now set aside all earthly cares. In other words, we actually proclaim that we are mystically representing the cherubim 
we are, in a sense, making them present by our joining with them mystically in the liturgy. And what are they doing? They are arriving at what silence arrives at, only arriving at it, in other words, that 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 peace, that ongoing kind of other state, that transcendent state, by means of a perpetual and ongoing and unceasing prayer and glorification and praises of God in heaven. So whenever we look at the East and West, what's important to keep in mind is that we arrive at the same point, but in different ways. And we wouldn't expect one another to do it in each other's way. Sometimes they are the same, but sometimes not. And that's perfectly natural and wonderful. We'll talk more about this when we come back. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. I'm Father Thomas Loya. I invite you to experience Lumen Christi Institute's September webinar series, Eastern Catholic Theology in Action. Learn about the distinct liturgy, theology, spirituality, and discipline of the 23 Eastern churches in communion with the Roman Catholic Church. This webinar series begins Thursday, September 3rd at 7 p.m. And every Thursday the thereafter Tabor Life in Institute, September and which on is dedicated Thursday, to the November formation 12th, and education include theology an introduction of the body. To, the to find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to A Theology of Wonder, an introduction to the poetry of Especially Ephraim the Seer, presented by and Andrew Hayes of the University of St. Youth, Thomas young in Houston. Adults, and These also, Eastern Catholic those of Theology in Action webinars are presented by Lumen Christi Institute, along with the Beatrice Institute, and sponsored by the Taper Life Institute. To register to access these webinars, visit lumenchristi.org. That's lumenchristi.org. You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loyan on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. We're answering a question by a young lady, and I emphasize that word young, and I do so with a certain joy and thrill as a priest because it's always great to hear and to find out from young people, especially after college, that they're still with the faith. In fact, they love it even more. And that's exactly the letter we got from this young Natalia. And that's why I'm sharing it with you. Remember, St. Augustine said, joy is not really joy unless it's shared. So Natalia, your letter gave me great joy. So I'm sharing it. Hope you don't mind. But it's also a great platform for a good lesson. More about this idea of silence. In the Eastern churches, as Natalie said in her letter, yes, we do have silence. We do emphasize silence, but largely it's in monasticism. When it comes to liturgy, liturgy is supposed to be this raising of our heart and mind and soul and our voices, our whole body, into this ongoing, perpetual, unceasing hymn of praise and thanksgiving and glory to God. Liturgy actually means like means something like work of the people or public works. In other words, it's sort of a roll up your sleeves and jump in the pool, into that mystical swimming pool of the heavenly liturgy and start 
proclaiming, shouting joyful to the Lord, as the psalm says. And that's what we do in the Eastern liturgy. So there really isn't a place for silence in the Eastern liturgy, not because there's anything wrong with silence. Again, we do have a place for silence, but it's generally not in the liturgy because of how we see the purpose of the liturgy in the Eastern churches. Also, there is actually, I guess you could say there's some silence in the Eastern liturgies whenever we are attentive to the readings. In fact, the deacon turns towards the people and actually says, wisdom, be attentive. And then we have the verses that introduce the readings, and then we listen to the readings. So in that sense, we are silent. We are, of course, silent during the homilies too. But during the actual worship, we're actually very active. In fact, you should come away from the Byzantine liturgy a little bit exhausted, but in a good way. Like you've poured your heart out for that time, an hour or whatever, however long it is. Who cares how long? It's timeless. You pour yourself out, raising your voices to God in thanksgiving and worship and praise. There is time for silence after the liturgy or even before. In fact, we have very lengthy, as usual, very lengthy and deep, rich prayers prior to communion and after communion. And this is a time in which you can have a certain personal time, personal contemplation, personal meditation. And many people do. They'll stay around after liturgy and just enjoy that silence, that personal silence when they pray. And they pray in thanksgiving for receiving the Eucharist. And before liturgy, they pray in preparation to receive the Eucharist. So there's a lot of prayer that can be considered to be in silence. It's personal prayer, personal preparation, and personal follow-up to what was a liturgy that was not silent at all, (laughs) in which we raise our voices, as I mentioned, in praise and thanksgiving. The Western Church uses lots of silence in all their services. They have things like Eucharistic adoration. So this being in the presence of God in silence is in the Eastern tradition, not so much in the liturgy, certainly in the Western tradition. And that's because the two, East and West, have their different character, different facets of the same diamond, different ways to approach and arrive at the same place. Now, there's another question that's very similar to the one that Talia brought out about silence. And that question, which again is often asked, is what about standing and kneeling? Many Latin Rite Catholics notice that Eastern Catholics don't kneel, or they don't kneel very much. They can if they want to, but we generally don't. However, we do kneel. We do a lot of kneeling. In fact, we go even further than that. We do a lot of prostrating. We go all the way to the ground, head to the ground, literally to the ground, during the high penitential seasons, especially the season of Great Lent, the Great Fast, the Great Penitential Season, especially in our liturgical services the pre-sanctified liturgy, where we go onto the grounds, the Eucharist is brought in procession. We do prostrations as we pronounce the verses of penance, especially from the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. We do kneel for the kneeling prayers on Pentecost Sunday, the very beautiful, rich kneeling prayers of Pentecost Sunday. We kneel for that. And We generally don't kneel during the Divine Liturgy on the daily basis or the weekly basis. We kneel during these special times 
during the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine church. And the reason is, is because kneeling, and here once again, we get a great example of arriving at the same point, but in different ways. Kneeling in the Eastern churches is considered to be very penitential, reserved for a very penitential time. Standing is considered to be reverence, reverential, and vigilant. In the Roman Catholic Church, the Latin rite, kneeling is considered to be vigilant and also humbling, repentant. It gives honor, and it expresses the fact that we are hardly worthy of the very thing in whose presence we are, such as the Eucharist, the church itself, the icons or statues that represent these people from heaven, the Virgin Mary, the saints, the angels, Christ himself. There's a sense of honoring them by kneeling. In the East, it's honoring them by standing. Standing is considered to be being at attention. That's how we honor. We're attentive. Something like in the court system, you know, when they say, all rise, whenever the judge comes in, they don't kneel, they rise. And that's their sense or their expression of honor for the dignity of the judge in the courtroom. Very similar in the Eastern churches. We rise when something important is going to happen, something holy is going to happen. And so the Eastern expression of dignity, of honor, of being vigilant is expressed through standing. In the West, is it expressed through kneeling? The Western Church used to distribute Holy Communion to people as they knelt. That is preserved in some Latin Rite churches today, or maybe I should say has been not only preserved, but also resurrected, retrieved, because after the Second Vatican Council, in the Latin Rite churches, for the most part, people were told to come forward standing to receive Holy Communion. Some Latin Rite churches have restored the ancient practice of kneeling and kneeling in front of the sanctuary next to a communion rail. The Eastern churches distribute Holy Communion as the people are standing, because again, it's about being alert, being vigilant, giving honor. There's also a practical dimension to that, to the way that we distribute Holy Communion. The Eastern churches, for the most part, distribute Holy Communion in both species, bread and wine. Usually it's a leavened bread that has been consecrated, then it is cut up and put into the chalice with the precious blood. The priest, especially in the Byzantine liturgy, takes a spoon and picks up one of those particles of consecrated bread that is now immersed in the precious blood of Christ. He simply drops it in the mouth of the communicant. All you do is come forward, standing, tilt your head back, open your mouth, just like a little bird. I always say it's like a little bird in the nest, little baby bird. They open their mouths real wide. All you got to do is open your mouth wide. The priest will drop the Eucharist in your mouth. The spoon doesn't go in your mouth. Generally, we don't do that. Sometimes it happens, but we drop the Eucharist in your mouth. So to kneel would make that just a little bit more awkward for the priest. So standing makes it a little bit more practical. Now, in both the East and West, when you go back far enough, there was communion in the hand and drinking from the chalice. So we can't look at those things in and of themselves as being irreverent or liberalizations or something like that, because they were done as a matter of course in the church East and West a long time ago, and they were done reverently. It's just that as the church East and West began to grow, they had to come up with a way to keep that little bit more controlled because with just by law of averages, when you get more people doing that, it can start to get a little bit sloppy. And at one point in the church, it was sort of the thing to do to become Christian. 
So he had lots of people who were coming to communion and becoming Christian, mostly because it was, well, I mean, not mostly, but so often the case was it was the social thing to do, just what we did. We're now a Christian country, so we all do this. So there was a certain lack of reverence that began to be noticed by the church fathers. So they came up with different ways to preserve that reverence, especially in the distribution of the Eucharist to larger crowds. And the East and the West both came up with their respective ways to preserve the Eucharist in the distribution of Holy Communion. And that's how it evolved in the West with using the wafer and the priest distributing it with his hand giving the Eucharist, the consecrated wafer host to the communicant, used to be on the tongue. Early on, as I mentioned, it was in the hand, but it was on the tongue. Now, there, of course, there has been options in Latin right to have it on the hand as well. In the East, it's not practical to put it in the hand, so it goes directly in the mouth. The priest at the altar, though, however, do receive communion in their hand and drink from the chalice. So in the priesthood is preserved in the Eastern churches the ancient tradition where everybody would receive from the chalice and take the consecrated bread in their hand. But it wasn't too long, it didn't take too long for that custom to change because as I said, the crowds, the masses that grew as Christianity became legalized and things got to be a little bit sloppy, a little bit irreverent. So both East and West came up with their respective ways to preserve the holiness the dignity, the respect, the sanctity of the distribution of Holy Communion. These type of differences, the questions about these differences, the answer always lies in the question. We are just different. And praise God for that, because the church breathes with both lungs, east and west. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Hey, this is Doug Keck, EWTN President and Chief Operating Officer. This is Bishop Ferdinand Cherie, Auxiliary Bishop of New Orleans. This is Jerry Usher, co-host of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. Thanks for listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!